Good afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Tuesday, November 14th. I'm Hannah Floor. A U.S. Coast Guard helicopter crashed at around 10.40 p.m. last night on Reed Island in Farragut Bay, about 22 miles northwest of Petersburg. There were four crew members aboard and all survived. Two personnel were severely injured in the crash. The other two received only minor injuries. The crew of the downed Jayhawk helicopter were on their way from Air Station Sitka to assist the Lydia Marie, a 55-foot commercial crabbing vessel, which was taking on water near Farragut Bay. Following the helicopter crash, U.S. Coast Guard cutters Elderberry and Douglas Denman responded to the flooding vessel. At the time of the initial response, the crew of the Lydia Marie had contained the flooding to a manageable level. Several agencies, including Petersburg Search and Rescue and EMS, came to assist the downed helicopter. Air Station Sitka sent another helicopter to take all four crew members to Petersburg Medical Center. They were later evacuated to Seattle for a higher level of care. District 17 spokesperson Petty Officer First Class Shannon Kearney told KFSK the Coast Guard doesn't have any preliminary information on the cause of the crash. We are working to launch a full investigation and any information that we get from the investigation will be forthcoming with. Petersburg Search and Rescue volunteers reported strong winds and snowfall in the area. According to the National Weather Service, there was reduced visibility across the area from rain and snowstorms and wind speeds that reached up to 45 miles per hour. The Petersburg School Board will consider a plan that prioritizes four areas of focus at its regular session tonight at 6 p.m. The board will vote whether to implement the plan, which was drafted earlier this month, from feedback in a community survey. The areas of focus include dedication to the physical, intellectual, and emotional well-being of staff and students, increasing student, family, and community engagement, improving communication within the school and with parents in the community, and preparing students earlier for life beyond high school. The board will also consider a pay raise for substitute teachers. Superintendent Erica Klutpainter says the district needs more substitute teachers and they need to be more competitive. And she says they want to, quote, acknowledge the work it takes to be a sub, unquote. They will also vote on a per diem increase for traveling district staff. The current per diem is $40 per day, increase would take it up to $60 in line with state standards. The board will also vote whether to approve the district's nomination of board president Sarah Holmgrain for the AASB Carl Rose Award for Excellent School Board Members. Holmgrain has served on the Petersburg School Board consecutively since 2008. Clute Painter says the district wants to highlight Holmgrain's longevity and all the work she has done for the district while on the board. And a representative from the district's accounting firm will present the board with a draft of the financial year 23 state audit. The audit shows that the district spent its money in a way that complies with its budget and policy. Glue Painter told KFSK that the district has gotten a clean audit every year for at least the past 20 years. Petersburg School Board will meet this evening at 6 p.m. in the Middle and High School Library. KFSK will broadcast that live and will post the recording in our school board meeting archive on kfsk.org. You can also tune in for Campus Connection, a call-in show with school officials at 12.30 today, just after Midday Magazine. 
European green crabs haven't made it to Sitka, not yet anyway. During the Alaska Invasive Species Partnership workshop last Thursday in Sitka, experts from around coastal Alaska spoke about current strategies to fight these invasive crabs and how communities like Sitka can work to avoid being a pit stop for these crafty crustaceans. Meredith Reddick reports from Sitka. Simple, five spines on either side of the eyes, three bumps in between the eyes. Tammy Davis is the Invasive Species Program Coordinator for the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. She's teaching a room full of people in Sitka how to identify invasive green crabs, which surprisingly are not always green. They can be brown, they can be orangish, reddish, yellowish. Um, They're four inches, an adult is four inches across the back of the carapace. European green crabs first reached the Pacific coast in 1989, but it wasn't until 2022 that they showed up in Alaska. Davis remembers the moment she learned green crabs had been found in Matlakatla last summer. I think we were all really close to tears because while we didn't, we should have, we knew they were coming, but we didn't think they would come this soon, Janelle Winter is the Climate and Energy Grant Coordinator for Metlakatla Indian Community. While Metlakatla is the only place in Alaska where green crabs have been positively identified, Winter says it's likely they've already spread. The numbers that we're finding them in give us, we're pretty sure that there are other places, we just haven't found them yet. And with that right now, we're just under 3,000 crab total that have been caught since 2000, they're discovering in 2012. She says aggressive trapping combined with early detection has made it easier to reduce their spread. First thing that was found was the first um, shell and that uh, triggered that response to to really start intensifying our trapping and then modifying how and where to make sure that we were we were really actually putting the traps where the crab were and and now um, those guys They have it dialed in, something fierce. Outside of Alaska, though, these crabs tend to decimate eelgrass beds, which are critical habitat for young salmon and other critters that could have long-term effects on commercial fisheries. They're also voracious eaters of clams and other small crabs. They reproduce quickly, and they can survive in a wide range of environments. Davis says communities like Sitka should be on the lookout. It seems so... uh frightening and negative to say it's inevitable, but um, based on ocean currents, uh, it's likely, I would say. We don't actually have good uh, oceanographic information about currents in the Alexander Archipelago, so some of our southeast communities may be slightly more protected if currents tend to go out along the coast, unfortunately, that puts Sitka more likely. Davis says Alaskans can help by learning how to identify green crabs and looking out for them on beach walks. While collecting some invasive species requires a permit, Davis says beachcombers can collect potential green crabs for the purposes of reporting, but they should keep the crab in a container and call the invasive species hotline or report online. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Meredith Reddick. And you can report invasive species online through the Alaska Department of Fish and Game website or by calling the Invasive Species Hotline at 1-877-468-2748.
Ketchikan's Borough Assembly met last Monday night for their first meeting of November. The agenda was long, and much of it was dedicated to housing. Sina Gutabayo is the assistant borough manager. She says the housing crisis in Ketchikan is a major focus for the borough. On Monday night, she and other staff members presented their work and asked for guidance. Any any clear direction at all, including the don't do anything, is going to be helpful. <laughs> staff have been looking into what to do with two big spots of borough land on North Tongas Highway. A stretch from miles 17 and 18 highway markers down to the water, broken up by Sutler's Cove Beach and a couple private properties. The Assembly discussed subdividing and selling the land at their last meeting as a way to pad the borough's housing capital fund. The fund is the borough's attempt to set money aside to develop subdivisions and housing. The discussion now is how to do it. Gubatayo presented Assembly members with four potential plans for the land, ranging from half-acre lots to five-acre parcels to divide or develop. Assembly members like Charlie Arntzen expressed concerns that if the lots are too large and the intent too vague, then the land will fall into the wrong hands. My biggest concern when I look at, and I'm pro-development, when I look at this concept of three to five acres with access from the highway, if we allow that to happen without restrictions on that land, people are going to come in, they're going to buy it, and they're going to put lodges on it. Grant Echohawk, another assembly member, agreed. He says that if the goal is to increase housing inventory for Ketchikan residents, then he is concerned corporations may see larger parcels as a potential business venture. Assembly member Jeremy Bynum says that increasing inventory was never the goal. Not go create a big subdivision, not put a bunch of money in building roads or access for utilities, but to be able to get that property onto the market. The initial concept was to say to generate additional revenue for our land development fund so that we can have a little bit more money in our war chest. The war chest Bynum mentioned is the housing capital fund. He says this project isn't for opening up a ton of housing options in Ketchikan. It's for putting a few nice waterfront plots on the market to raise money for those projects. After further disagreement between Artson and Bynum, Mayor Dial called for final comments and an end to the session. Borough staff walked away with directions from the Assembly to carve out a minimum of 10 parcels, but only on the mile 17 stretch with orders to protect beach access. Every year, students and staff at Bethel Regional High School gather to honor the region's veterans right before the Veterans Day holiday. Francisco Martinez Cuello, who is a Marine Corps veteran, went to the ceremony and asked veterans and students what they thought about the holiday. He brings us this audio postcard. Hi, my name is Michael Calvetti. I'm the uh, SAI for the Junior ROTC program here at the high school. I served in the U.S. Army. I joined initially in 1984 and retired in 2008. I'm uh, supposedly in charge of putting on this uh, Veterans Day ceremony. Uh, I will tell you that up until I jo- joined uh, this community, I wasn't a VFW member. 
this community and the things the VFW does to honor its veterans here in this community made me be a lifetime member. Happy Veterans Day is on Saturday, and I hope everybody calls or talks to a family member that was served or anybody in the neighborhood who served, they would appreciate it. I'm Anna Howard. I'm a 12th grader at BRHS. Um, both my grandparents, uh, my grandfathers served in wars and were part of the U.S. military. And, um, yeah, they, they're just really important people to me. And having them be veterans and part of the community is very important. It makes me think of um, all the people that have fought and worked hard and given us the life that we have and who have supported us and been strong leaders in our community. Uh, my name is Sean Gregory Petrie Vancura, uh, Lance Corporal, Marine Corps. It feels nice to be honored by the community. Uh, probably be thinking uh, during the ceremony, probably be thinking about um, my buddies that I lost. Um, people should know that veterans are are everyday people, just like everyone else, and they deserve everything that we can give them because they give. They are that one percent of the U.S. that gives everything they can. I'm Dalen Hoffman. Uh, Veterans Day, you know, it's like, it's pretty cool. Like, everybody gets to gather and do things. It's pretty fun. Uh, my grandfather did. Uh, he was, he's actually, uh, he's a pretty, I don't know. He, he just, I just know he served in the army. Um, I just thought, like, It'd be pretty scary, like, scary because it's the war, like, like, everybody's fighting and a lot of people are getting killed, like, and that's bad and scary. That was Bethel Regional High School's Veteran Day Assembly. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.